I'm calling today's word, was blind, but now I see. When Jesus was ministering in Galilee, he healed three blind men. One man was blind Bartimaeus. And I'm reading from Mark chapter 10, verse 46. And so they reached Jericho. Later, as they left town, a great crowd was following. Now it happened that a blind beggar named Bartimaeus was sitting beside the road as Jesus was going by. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus from Nazareth was near, he began to shout out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped there in the road and said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Be encouraged, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus pulled off his old cloak and threw it aside. He jumped up and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. The blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, all right, it's done. Your faith has healed you. And instantly the blind man could see and followed Jesus down the road. I want you to remember what Bartimaeus did. Before he got prayed for, he threw that cloak off. Another man who was healed from blindness was healed by Jesus putting spit in his eyes. Mark 8, verse 25. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on him again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Another man healed from blindness by Jesus didn't have Jesus spit in his eye, but rather Jesus spat on the ground and made mud. In John chapter 9, verse 7, as he was walking along, he saw a man blind from birth. Master, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it a result of his own sins or those of his parents? Neither, Jesus answered, but to demonstrate the power of God. Then he spat on the ground and made mud from the spittle and smoothed the mud over the blind man's eyes and told him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went where he was sent and washed and came back seeing. Now for some speculation. We can imagine how these wonderful faith healings would have been compared and examined closely by Bible teachers back then and still today to discover the deeper meanings behind these experiences of faith. This would probably have given rise to earnest truth seekers and perhaps a few opportunists to hold a conference to discuss which was the most effective and appealing teaching method for being healed from blindness. After that conference, three new denominations could very well have been formed, all in the name of Jesus. There would have been the Bartimites, the Spitites, and the Mudites. Now the key to the Bartimite doctrine, remember, was throwing off 
the cloak before Jesus prayed. And the historical context shows that this cloak that Bartimaeus was wearing was most likely an official begging coat for licensed beggars. And this could begin a new method of faith that could develop into some kind of practice, still seen today, about, say, treading on your glasses while waiting in a prayer line with the expectation of being healed of sight defects. I mention that because I watched that happen to two of my colleagues many years ago when I was in Bible college and uh, we had a, a ministry training school and my two friends were at the front with their spectacles on and they stomped on the spectacles as they received prayer from a visiting evangelist. A very powerful evangelist. Two days later they had to go to the optometrist and each get a new pair of glasses. <laughs> the Spittites. This doctrine would not only reveal truth concerning the spittle from Jesus' mouth, which can speak of the living water of the Holy Spirit, but it would also introduce the new method of first praying, then asking the person if they can see, and then laying on hands a second time to impart more faith for a better result. Finish the job properly. The Muddites. The Muddite teaching emphasises that it was not only the living water of the spittle, but it adds the method of mixing the spittle with the dust of the ground, which could speak of the Holy Spirit being joined to mankind. These are all genuine conclusions. And furthermore, because the blind man had to wash in the pool of Siloam before he received his sight, it could lead to the person being baptised into the local Muddite Assembly's church. However, what these three men really had in common was that they had been blind and now they could see. And they encountered Jesus and the love of God. That's what actually happened. Christianity challenges each individual to meet with Jesus in his or her own situation. And they can be so different. If Jesus had healed 10 people from blindness, there'd be another seven stories of how it happened, right? But the moment we make an exclusive doctrine out of a method, we can bring division to the body of Christ. We place something else above Jesus and God's love to indulge our own self-interest. And it's like a marketplace of get in on the latest and the best doctrine deal. What's on offer? Only love conquers that kind of indulgent self-interest. Now, there's nothing wrong with self-interest. It's a perfectly normal and responsible attitude for a person to have, to survive, to stay as healthy as possible, be productive enough to do all of this and to care for yourself and to care for others. Self-interest is part of being a human being. But when self-interest becomes a problem of anxiety and willfulness and me, 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 and the dodgy doctrine deals haven't worked, 
The answer is to know that you are loved by someone who always acts for your best interest because they love you. That's behind these healings. That is what the Holy Spirit imparts to our hearts concerning Jesus and the Father. And Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus about being loving and wise in the teaching and applying of the truth of God's word in the church. It is a big responsibility. There are many teachings. Paul wanted them to become a community of faith and love that expressed God's love and faith and power into their world. It's God's people that deliver. And he wrote this to the Ephesian church in chapter 4, verse 11. And he appointed some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers of his word who would equip those who live for God to live a life of serving others. In the King James it says, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Saints are those who live for God. That's what they set their life aside for. And the work of the ministry is a life of serving others. So these ones were to equip people to adopt this way of life. So, to live a life of serving others and be formed together for the expression of Jesus to the world. And then he speaks about how this is going to happen. What is going to happen? And what is the result of this? Until we all come to the unity of the faith in the knowing of the Son of God, to become a complete person who measures up to having the fullness of Christ within us. When this starts to happen, we won't be like children tossed about in all directions and running here and there after every new alluring teaching from cunning teachers who load the dice to prosper their own ends and ambitions. But when truth is proclaimed and it is empowered by God's love, it causes us as a body to grow and develop in oneness and harmony with Christ, who is the head of that body. From this placement of the body with its head, which is Christ, comes the perfect collaboration of a completely balanced and effective body. As each part contributes the best it has in the best possible way, so that the whole body becomes the expression of God's love and power. That was Paul's goal for the church. And he saw things going haywire with dodgy doctrines. To the early apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, they were ministries appointed by God that were trying to transition people from religion with its rituals and regulations into depending upon Jesus in a spiritual relationship with him. That was the big move out of religion into relationship and faith. 
They were talking to people from many different cultures and religions which all had written laws and rituals of some kind. These people had learned to feel more secure when they had ritual sacrifices and a ritual code of truth that specified exactly what method of application would get them some desired outcome or favour with God. There was a multiplicity of idols and methods and self-seeking, self-indulgence. I'm missing out. Show me another God, another method. That belief system was not faith in a living God, but faith in a methodology. Real faith is our believing in a living, loving God who dwells within us, working in our hearts to bring about his will in our lives as we surrender our needs and petitions to him because we have needs. And that is a legitimate self-interest. But we have a God who has our best interest at heart if we will put these things in his hands if we know we're loved. Big challenge. Now all those ministries I just mentioned spoke God's word and trusted the Holy Spirit to teach each person how to hear from Jesus, each one, and how to live their life in partnership with him in a way that pleased the Father. Whatever the culture, whatever the background, this was something entirely new and scary because of the freedom that it brought. People weren't used to being given that freedom. The Holy Spirit will tell you. You've now got Jesus within. It's a scary doctrine. Now look, I'd rather stick to the rules and regulations, please. And if you've got anything new on offer? But Jesus had said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. And that was the challenge that the apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers gave to every individual to build up their faith walk in God. When Paul was knocked to the ground on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians, Jesus told Paul that he had chosen him to be his apostle to the Gentiles or non-Jews. Paul had to bring the revelation of Christ in you to unbelievers who had a multiplicity of views on religion and God and spirituality. And that's about today as well. Paul said about laying down what was the first goal of the church, which is what I've just read and I'll read it again, was to come into the unity of the faith. And that's not a doctrine. It's not, we've all got this same kind of doctrine on how to hear. We've all got the same sort of doctrine on the end time and everything else. And on evangelism, and we've all got to do this way, and this is the doctrine. No, it was we come to the unity of the faith of the knowing of the Son of God to become a complete person who measures up to having the fullness of Christ within and the unity of the faith then is expressed in the expression of who Jesus is in you and corporately in us to our world. Little by little. And the community of faith 
does not judge or criticise another person's genuine experience of Jesus. It can be very different, no matter how different it might be. Our ongoing conversation about Jesus can be sharing the blessing of the Jesus within us life and it can have such a beautiful variety. Well, this is the way Jesus spoke to me. Oh, wonderful. Can I share with you what he's done this week in my life? Boy, that was good. Can we make a doctrine out of that? No. It was just Jesus speaking to me. <laughs> Paul wrote to the church in Rome, commending them on their inner knowledge of Jesus. And he was confident that they could speak comfort and wisdom into one another's lives. I see this happening in people here that have grown in their faith and in their walk with Jesus. And they're able to impart faith and wisdom and compassion and understanding and see lives change. So Paul wrote in Romans chapter 15, verse 14, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to put one another in mind of God's word. There's your church. That's how confident Paul was, and he wants us to be as confident of that, but there's a way of simply placing yourself within that space of surrender and faith and trust in the Holy Spirit and the Father and Jesus, that they will speak into your life. It's all about each one of us having a personal knowledge of Jesus being active in our lives. That kind of local church community is genuinely evangelical because the people live out the gospel that speaks through their lives. In the next verse of that letter to the Ephesians that I spoke about, we see the warning from Paul not to go after alluring teachings that promote methodologies for getting your prayers answered the way you want them to. Now, all this does is bring about more division because people start focusing on the crafty methods to get their prayers answered rather than trust in the person of Jesus. I know a bucket load of dodgy doctrines that, well, you haven't tried this yet. But there's this curiosity and it's understandable. But the crafty methods is the substitute for trusting in the person of Jesus. And the motivation behind these teachings and the teachers is often human pride or ambition or financial gain and reputation. Have you seen much of that around in the last few years? Many of these methods and styles and brands of faith have been exposed in the last few years, especially in this century, so the last 20 years. And there is a lot of soul searching going on now as people are being challenged to live for God and not for themselves. God is tearing down and pulling up because he wants to rebuild his body from the ground up through Jesus. And be patient. He's going to do a thorough work. 
There are many people seeking truth with a genuine heart and a conscience that are of other faiths and spiritual practices. There are many who may have a concept of a God who is out there or up there somewhere and they must not be rejected and judged, these people. God will judge each person one day and he alone knows their heart and conscience and their destiny. And that's where grace comes in, amazing grace. The Holy Spirit has been sent into the world to actively pursue the hearts of all of those people, as he did to Paul and as he's done to all of us. And that's a blessing when that can happen. How sad is it that many seekers of truth see Christianity as divided and as worldly and as confused as any other religion? That's the finger that gets pointed. And it does not have to be like that. We can be part of God's drawing of people to himself as the one true God as we live in the unity of the faith, which is the unity that is expressed when individually and corporate we express who Jesus is and the love of the Father. That's the unity. It's from Ephesians chapter 4, which we read in the beginning of Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says, maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. It's there. Paul writes to Timothy to encourage him about being part of this work of God. It's interesting, Timothy was also at the church in Ephesus. Um, Ephesus was a place that Paul had to have some interventions into. He had Timothy there and Timothy was up against it because of the, the false teaching that was coming. Paul even excommunicated two of the, the leaders in the church because of false teaching. And in the book of Revelation, when it speaks to the church in Ephesus, it says, I know your works. I know that you've been able to discern who were really the true apostles and who were not. So there was a lot of this being challenged. And Paul was onto it. And he wrote to Timothy in chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. The first thing I want you to do is pray. Pray every way you know how, for everyone you know. Pray especially for rulers and their governments to rule well so we can be quietly about our business of living simply in humble contemplation. And that word simple and humble and still and quiet comes about three times in that verse in the Greek. He didn't promote Christian activism and trying to change the politics of the nation. He spoke about praying for the leaders so that you can live your life to become the gospel in the world. This is the way, Paul writes, our Saviour wants us to live. He wants not only us, but everyone saved. You know, everyone, to come to the knowledge of the truth we've learned, that there is one God and only one and one priest mediator between God and us, Jesus, who offered his life in exchange for everyone held captive by sin to set them all free. 
the evidence of this comes at the appointed time. That is the witness of the Spirit. This and this only has been my appointed work. I tell the truth, I am not lying. Paul is wanting to get across that this is the thing that he, the challenge that he faces the most. He was being dismissed and despised as being somebody who was trying to give too much freedom and who was not really teaching what the Jews wanted or what people with other religions would have preferred. And he said, I tell the truth, I'm not lying. This is my appointed work. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Receive the freedom that you've been given in Jesus Christ. Let the Holy Spirit reveal the love of the Father, which is the only thing that will work against our indulgent self-interest and convince us and make us know that he has better than our self-interest at heart. He has his best interest for us. And we can then live with an ongoing conversation of the goodness and greatness of our Saviour Jesus and our loving Father and the power of our Holy Spirit within. In Jesus' name, Amen.